Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 160 being recorded on Monday, January 14th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, this is one of those rare episodes where we are actually in the same room. I know. It's super exciting. I, I always enjoy getting the opportunity to spend some real life time with you. Some quality time, yeah. Yeah, so we are live, live, live here from New York City. I am looking out of Jason's fancy hotel room, and I can see the Empire State Building, uh, which is home to many Amazon stores and fulfillment centers here in New York. Yeah, and there's a Starbucks in that building that delivers. Ah, leave it to Jason to know some Starbucks trivia. I'm desperate to find a way to work in that building. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's January. We're in New York City. That can only mean one thing. We are here for the National Retailer Federation Big Show, the NRF Big Show. Um, And in that spirit, tonight's theme is trip reports. Our our fearless reporter, Jason, has been traveling the world to bring you the latest and greatest information about what's going on out there. Um, And first we want to cover, he is he went straight back to back, I think, from Vegas to New York, um, bypassed the family. So uh, hi and bye, guys. And he is going to start out with a CES report and tell us uh, what's going on there, and then we'll jump into NRF. So um, let's kick it off, Jason, with what were some of the interesting things you saw at CES that had retail implications? Yeah, so I feel like there were, there was a fair amount of retail-specific stuff at CES this year. Um First of all, a number of retailers had booths, uh, and so um, a lot of the Chinese retailers in particular had big booths at CES. Yeah, so Alibaba had a big booth. Um, they're prom- a lot of the services they would promote in the U.S. are like their supplier services and their B2B services. Uh, they have a, a an alternative to AWS in China that they would uh, offer to Western companies that want need to host uh, platforms in China. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bulk uh, – oh, and they had one novelty. They were showing an, a, a new uh, voice translation capability that was real-time audio translation. Hmm. So Google kind of made some buzz at the show by announcing these this new generation of their – Google Translate that lets you talk in your phone, it transposes it into another language, but you hand your phone to someone, they can read it in their language, speak in their language, and you can kind of hand the phone back and forth. So Alibaba came up with this technology where in real time, you talk into a mic, and the guy next to you hears the translation in his native language and speaks back to you. So I got to uh, speak uh, to someone who is a native Mandarin speaker, and like it it mostly works. It's not like the grammar is a little mm-hmm. wonky, but you could totally get the intent. So it's uh, like a translator where you speak and then you pause and it speaks and then the other person speaks and you pause. So it's got like that. So the, pause the Google one is the definite pause in uh, this Alibaba one. If you're speaking long enough, they will get the translation before you finish talking. Ooh, that's disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to like keep your brain going while the thing's 
speaking in a foreign language? I think it's mostly intended for remote interactions. Mm. They were demoing it in a, you're standing right next to the person, but you were kind of in an isolated booth. So you only heard ah, okay. your side of the conversation. Ah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's remarkable how well that technology is getting the, the Star Trek universal translator is basically here or the babblefish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but half of Alibaba's booth was focused on predominantly consumer electronics and home products that Alibaba designs, manufactures, and sells on the platform. Um, so in addition to being a retailer and a service provider, Alibaba is a product manufacturer, and they have their own handsets that are sold in China. They have a bunch of, like, smart home appliances and things. And their pitch is that they're leveraging all the data and learnings from their their voluminous shopping interactions to identify needs in the market and design these products. Mm. Um, and I, I and so half their booth was dedicated to promoting those products and potentially selling those products in new markets. Got it. Um, and I, I say that because that's a theme amongst all these retailers. Uh, so JD.com, um, which is like the second biggest e-commerce site in China, Alibaba is a pure marketplace. They don't actually sell their own stuff other than those those products that they make. Um, JD.com is primarily a direct seller. So they're more a retailer that, that sell uh, wholesale products in China. Um, they also had a big booth. Uh, same story. Half their booth was dedicated to products manufactured by JD.com, sort of hmm. reinforcing this theme that retailers that have the most uh, intimacy with the consumers have the most insight that they can use to make the most relevant products. Um, JD.com was also showing some of the retail technology. So in China, JD.com is doing pretty significant amount of deliveries via drone. And so they were showing all their drone vehicles Usually when we say drone, people think of the quad copper that's flying packages. And JD.com does have a like high payload quadcopter, and they claim that they make thousands of deliveries a day with these things in, in uh, remote uh, villages. Um, but the way higher volume stuff is they have like autonomous vehicles, these little mini-sized vehicles, even smaller than like a smart car that are mostly like storage capacity, and it, it's kind of like a a shopping cart that drives to your house. Hmm. Um, and so those things were kind of interesting. Uh, they were showing some of their uh, version of Amazon Go type technology. So they have um, vending machines that use facial recognition. And so you've, you've you basically like store your WeChat credentials and uh, you walk up to the vending machine, you just open the door, take whatever you want. And it, it authenticates you with your face and charges your 10 cent account for, uh, for the purchases, so that mm-hmm. was interesting. Alibaba has technology like that too. For their, they call it O and O instead of Omni Channel. They call it online and offline. O two O. O two O. Yeah. Yeah, online to offline, and and uh, Alibaba definitely has. Um, in addition to facial recognition, they have pay with a smile. They mm-hmm. use like a smile as a gesture after the face recognition to to initiate transactions. Uh, I didn't specifically see them demoing that in their booth this year, but but uh, definitely. The Chinese providers are like big ecosystems of of these interesting services. Some oriented at, at commerce, some some sort of broader than that. 
Um, the third Chinese retailer there that would be even less familiar to our listeners unless you, you spend some time in the Chinese market is a retailer called Suning. And they're um, the largest brick-and-mortar retailer in China. They're a conglomerate that owns a bunch of different kinds of stores. Uh, their biggest chain is like 1,700 consumer electronics and home appliance stores, so sort of like a Best Buy in China. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a booth – and in their booth, they were primarily showing technology that they had developed for experiences inside of a retail store. So they were showing um, produce displays for a grocery store that weigh all the the produce. And so they detect when the weight on the shelf changes. So they know an apple got picked up or a banana got picked up. And they have a digital sign that shows you product content relevant to that banana, what farm the banana came from, how many days it'll be fresh, all those sorts of things. Um, They had a lot of in-store analytics, so they were using video systems to measure store traffic and figure out dwell time and all that sort of stuff. They had a a self-checkout experience. Um, They had a a virtual try-on experience where uh, your body was mapped in 3D, and so they, they put apparel on you that's It's not paper dolled in front of you. It's sort of on your body. And as you turn, you see the profile and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So they had all these different retail vignettes showing technology that they had developed for their stores. And what was interesting slash peculiar, um, a bunch of these people had badges from Palo Alto, California, from Suning. Um, I asked, and they said they had an R&D lab in Palo Alto. Um, They have no stores outside of Asia. Like, they're mostly in China. They have a few stores in, like, Hong Kong. Um, They're, uh, per their their claims in the booth, they're not trying to sell any of this retail technology to other retailers. They're not trying to license anything outside of their home market. And so it it befuddles me why they would spend (laughs) a bunch of money and have a booth at CES. Hmm. Um, I mean, it. Like a lot of people have booths at CES just to generate PR, but then it, it's mostly going to be Western press. Um, yeah, so. maybe there. Um, so a lot of people go to CES because there's the component. It's a good place to go get le- little Lego blocks, right? So maybe they were trying to get component vendors to say, "Hey, come up with a cheaper screen for our future digital shelf or something." Some, yeah. Sometimes those kind of conversations happen at CS. Yeah, totally viable. That that would be a good place to like find new vendors and show them some of the things they're working on. And yeah, potentially it's an expensive way to do it. So are all these guys gated in like a retail technology area or like you stumbled upon them as you walked the 8 trillion booths? Yeah, mostly you would stumble upon them. So the the booths at CES are sort of loosely grouped by use case. So most of CES is in two big venues, the Las Vegas Convention Center, which has three big halls, the North, Central, and South Hall, mm-hmm. and then the Sands Convention Center, which is it's still called the Sands Convention Center, but it, it's actually now connected to the Venetian Hotel. Yeah. Um, so the North Hall in the Las Vegas Convention Center is mostly automotive, so none of the booths I mentioned are there. The Central Hall is sort of the original CES hall. It's all the television and home entertainment. And it's where historically the biggest, longest-running um, consumer electronic companies have booths and have exhibited forever. Yeah. So the the huge marquee booths in the Central Hall are Sony, Samsung, and LG. Um, so Alibaba had a very big booth in that Central Hall 
Um, not quite as big as like those three, but the next step down from those three <laughs> in a prominent location. And um, I presume that was because they were trying to emphasize their home entertainment products predominantly. Um, the South Hall was uh, computers, audio technology, drones, and robotics. And there was a high-tech retail pavilion. So none of the companies I just mentioned were in the high-tech retail pavilion. The high-tech retail pavilion was a small spattering of technology vendors that had sort of point solutions. So there was like a vendor that was doing like virtual makeup. There's a vendor that's doing geolocation in the store um, and some some like even more peripheral vendors, a, a vendor that sells vending machines that clean your eyeglasses while you wait, that they're trying to sell the retail stores. And the, and the most buzzy thing in the, in the high tech retail pavilion was a bread bot, a, a, an, a, an autonomous self-service vending machine that bakes the bread and then dispenses freshly baked bread. Bread bot. Um, like so the bread bot was kind of a, a hot buzzy thing, but like, uh, if you walk this high-tech pavilion at CES, it feels like a small subset of what you'll you'd see here in New York at the Innovation Pavilion in 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 a ref. And, Got it. And it, it like if you're going to exhibit at one show and you're one of these small vendors, CES does not feel like the right show to meet a bunch of retailers that would be interested in your products. Yeah. Um. So I I didn't spend a lot of time there. Um. Suning and JD were in that South Hall. Okay. Um. The so those were all the sort of retail focus booths. Um, Walmart does have a booth in that South Hall that was sort of just outside the high the high tech pavilion, and it's basically their jet booth, and it's basically recruiting sellers for the jet slash mart uh, Walmart marketplace. Okay, um, and then for the first time, Amazon had went from. No real booth at CES. They had some small presence in the past. and, and uh, They've had marketplace booths where they recruit sellers. Yeah, so they've had that marketplace booth before. Um, they've had, like, the treasure truck. Um, and then the last several years, they've they've had works with Alexa in a million booths in the show, 4,000 booths in one case. Um, so this year, they had a ton of their own exhibit space. So the first thing they did... We've talked about this on the show before, but a gimmick that that Amazon does at their corporate headquarters is they give away free bananas to employees and to random people walking by their headquarters in Seattle. And so in every exhibit hall, there was a Amazon banana stand giving away free bananas that just felt like a, a brand building thing. And they had like a social media contest where they're encouraging you to tweet out the banana stand and, and win some, some echo prizes. Um, they, that I saw, they did not have a marketplace booth. Uh, they had a dedicated booth in the automotive section, talking about Alexa for automotive integration. Hmm. And it so that was in the North Hall. Uh, it had the Byton, which is a a Chinese vaporware all electric car that was debuted last year. They had some new models this year, and Amazon had that in their automotive section. They also had a BMW in there, and they're talking about cars that have heavy. Alexa integration in the dash as the cabin tech. Yeah, sidebar, the uh, Amazon Alexa Auto is supposedly shipping. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't. I did not get an invite. Did you get an invite? I confess I did not try. Oh, okay. I probably should have. I'm shocked. 
Yeah, I feel now. I feel like you called me out on the podcast. Thanks for that. You're really letting your exactly. listeners down. <laughs> the first episode this year that you didn't mock my title, you're, you're like mocking me for. I not think working. if you're a chief creative digital strategy officer, you would have had this figured out. I would have figured out how to get an Amazon auto. Uh, and a reminder for for listeners, uh, the Amazon auto is a device you can plug into the auxiliary audio input in your car that could, that sort of. Is an OEM Alexa that you can add to your car um, that, that people, are, uh, particularly Scott, are excited about. <laughs> um, so they had this auto thing. They were, you know, that was mostly probably targeted at other car manufacturers to, you know, yeah. convince them that they should be using Alexa. Um, in the Sands, Amazon had a huge exhibit demonstrating all of the devices that have Alexa integrated into them. Mm. Um, and that was a super high traffic booth. So, so Amazon had a huge footprint at the show through all these different booths. Um, I saw you tweeted a toilet from that exhibit. Uh, An Alexa toilet? So, Kohler? Kind of. I tweeted a, a Kohler toilet that uh, has Amazon integrated. That was not actually in Amazon's booth. It was in Kohler's booth. Um, okay. But we do all definitely need a – this toilet has an automatic open and close function. And so you can use Alexa to put the toilet seat down, which could potentially – Resolve some marital problems in some, I guess, some relationships. But the the more legitimate use case is like just to have an Alexa in your bathroom, so you can do things like run the water, set the mood lighting, play music, do the you know. It's more of a bathroom control than a specific toilet control. Well, if you ask me, it's a pretty crappy integration. Boom, boom, boom. I like it. Uh, the toilet does have a fancy bidet in it, so you can do things like preheat your toilet. Oh, with the, nice. Yeah. Um, for people that live a different life than I, I do. Um, so then there were a couple other booths that had some like just interesting retail vignettes in them. Um, so Qualcomm is a big chip manufacturer. They're what I'd call an ingredient company. They make the chips that make a lot of the devices we use. Um, and they're most famous for making wireless chips that are in a lot of the cell phones. Um, for a long time they were in Apple phones, but now there's a big falling out. And so I don't think Apple phones use Qualcomm chips anymore. Um, but Qualcomm was showing a whole set of retail use cases that were enhanced by the coming Internet of Things. So they made a simulated music festival and they showed examples of digital signs um, that were dynamic and changed based on the the composition of the crowd. They're using video analytics to to measure the crowd and they were day parted and they're doing sort of artificial intelligence, digital signage based on all these, these signals that the signs were in taking. Uh, they envisioned that you would have mobile beer carts in this music festival and all the mobile beer carts knew exactly how much beer they were on, uh, had, had left and they knew how big the crowd was in the area where the cart was. And so they could do things like, say, hey, we have too much beer over here in this part of the pavilion, and there's way more demand over here. Let's let's tell the cart to move to where the demand is or to replenish um, or to do those kinds of things. Um, they were showing a pretty robust um, digital fact tag use case, which uh, I've talked a lot about uh, my affinity for digital fact tags. Um, one of the downsides of most digital fact tag solutions today is they use proprietary wireless solutions. So you put these tags on your shelf and you have to buy a hub from that manufacturer or a bunch of hubs that 
speak over a proprietary frequency and protocol to all the tags. Mm -hmm. So Qualcomm thinks, hey, these tags are a big thing. There ought to be a lot more of them, but they ought to use open standards like Wi-Fi mesh and Bluetooth. So Qualcomm was showing some reference designs for that. Um, They were showing a lot of video analytics to measure the crowd and know how many people are in the crowd, whether the crowd was enjoying the music or not. And, you know, they had these use cases where they would change the genre of music as the crowd was losing interest and things like that. Interesting. Yeah. So they were, they were, I wouldn't say any of the customer experience was, were particularly polished, but they were, you know, thinking about how enabled venues could change the retail experience, which is, which is interesting to me. Um, Panasonic. Oh, sorry. Were you going to say something? I, I just want it to detect when there's more than a hundred people in the store and call it more cash registers. Can they do that? Uh, you would think like the, like obviously if you have those video analytics, like there certainly are people, uh, simple people counters that already detect when there's too many people in line at the cash register, okay. but you're right. Like the proactive way to solve that problem is know how many people came in the store, know what the average dwell time is and be proactive. Like once, once there's too many people in line, it's kind of too late. Yeah. I feel like there's all these people that are on the mountain. They think about all these user experiences and we haven't really nailed some of the basic ones yet down kind of at the bottom of the mountain. I think that's a for sure theme of these two shows. It's like glitzy <laughs> to show a lot of the bells and whistles, and there's still a lot of block and tackling to be one. Yeah. Um, Panasonic had, a like, in addition to all their consumer electronics, they were showing uh, a new pickup locker, so a buy-in-line pickup-in-store at a locker experience. Uh-huh. But they're trying to solve a, a very real problem of pickup lockers for produce. So they had lockers that were refrigerated and lockers that were at, uh, freezers. And so their envision, their vision was you buy gro- groceries, they partition your groceries into cold and frozen. They put them in these refrigerated automated lockers. Yep. And so it's sort of like Amazon locker for perishables. Is that something that's like active in Japan and they're trying to bring to other countries or is it? Was it is. I, I think idea. the Panasonic product isn't used anywhere. I think it's a brand new product that they okay. envision selling to retailers. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that gets any traction. They also had like a common theme at CES and a, a shiny bobble. A lot of people talk about is blockchain. So they had a, a food cart that was an autonomous vehicle that drove the produce to your house and uh, it had self-checkout, and it had blockchain for all the produce, so you could, you know, know the – you could verify the origin of all the produce and know if anything was recalled or something like that. Uh, a little silly and more forward-looking, but interesting that they spent a bunch of the space in their super expensive CES booth to think of these sort of retail vignettes. Yeah. Um, and then uh, much more, but interesting to me uh, – Nikon always has a big booth there, despite the fact that, like, you know, camera sales are decreasing dramatically as everyone uses their smartphone. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Nikon built in their booth a bunch of uh, Instagram photo opportunities. And you walk around CES and people were standing in line for, like, 30 minutes to get their picture taken in a bathtub full of yellow ping pong balls or in a swimming pool full of rubber duckies or, you know, all these, these different like super colorful, well-lit vignettes. Mm -hmm. And it very much reminded me of like, there are now these dedicated Instagram experience stores, things like the ice cream factory in in San Francisco where people pay 40 bucks to go inside a, a venue that has a bunch of pretty sets to take 
photos of themselves to share on social media. And that's very experiential. We talk a lot with retailers about creating opportunities for digital souvenirs for your shoppers. And, it, and the Nikon uh, booth just seemed like a particularly good example of, of creating these these digital experiences as sort of mementos of your visit to their booth. And it seems like a, a, a smart tactic for retailers to be thinking about. We've heard of some retailers even using the amount of the social media that their physical store generates as a KPI, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And then last, there's a, a, a vendor there uh, that's been there for a couple of years called uh, Visix. And uh, Visix has taken up the mantle of Google Glass. So they've had products on the market for several years that's like uh, glasses that you wear that have an augmented reality display that are primarily intended for uh, industrial purposes. So for a car mechanic to wear that has like schematics of the automobile while while they're working. Uh, this year they they debuted their first consumer product, which is a $1,000 clone of Google Glass. Um, it has a much higher res screen. It's much bigger um, I wouldn't say it looks any better than, than Google Glass, um, but much more processing power behind it. And uh, I'm not sure they're ever going to sell a lot of these, but it was interesting. They created a bunch of vignettes for how people might use them. And one of the vignettes was a shopping vignette where you could put on their prototype glasses, walk into the setup store, and they would everything, all the product packaging you'd look at, they would augment the physical packaging with digital information like is it gluten-free, is it kosher, all this sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that augmented reality display for product information is really interesting. I, I sort of think people are way more likely to use their phones that they already own and carry with them than they are to use these proprietary glasses. But it was a, a nice visualization of the concept. Yeah, and I want it to tell me where on the shelf to find it because my wife wants a very specific thing, and then I spend like the bulk of my time finding that very specific thing. They absolutely did have that use case, like we'd call it wayfinding, where essentially, like you upload a list, and the the glasses have sort of GPS directions saying turn left, turn right, and walk you to the nice to your wife's item. So she, that would definitely improve the wife approval factor in your family. Awesome, I I need. All that I can get. Yeah. So that was a lot of the stuff that jumped out at me as being particularly retail specific at the show. Cool. And uh, so as you know, I've been thinking a lot about the future of vehicles. uh, And I saw there was tons of interesting news that came out of CES around autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles. Um, One one thing that's kind of the the summary I saw um, led with the CEO of Waymo was out there saying, hey, this is kind of prior to CES. He kind of admitted in an interview with a reporter um, he doesn't see us getting to 100% autonomy. So they've been running these vehicles, you know, millions of miles, even you know, like tens of millions of simulated miles. And what they're finding are they they do okay in perfect scenarios, but things like tree shadows, um, and then as weather gets bad, like rainy roads, they do really poorly. Um, so one of the themes I saw out there was kind of more limited a, you know, autonomous vehicles. So um, you know, a, a shuttle service that'll go from point A to B. Point C kind of thing. Um, is, did you see any of those when you were at CES? Yeah. So an interesting cadence you tend to see at CES is people show very early prototypes of stuff that's not going to be on the market for many years, yeah. right? So I would use TV as the sort of example. Like way before there's ever any content or you could ever buy a TV that has 8K resolution, 
there's a bunch of 8K TVs that are kind of novelties. Yep. So the one, year, the one year you go there and it's like, hey, Magic, there's a TV with twice as many dots as you've ever seen before. You can't buy it for several years, but it's cool to look at. Look at this picture of an apple spinning with some cool water blobs on it. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only content we have. Yeah. And so the <laughs> next year is it gets closer to reality. There's There often are way less of those TVs because the, the few that are being shown now are released or close to release. And they're usually pretty rough because even though they've commercialized this TV and they're ready to sell it and they have things they didn't have the year before, like a price, um, they still lack any content, right? So there's there's not a lot a lot of, of examples. And so it almost feels like it loses traction as it's getting closer to commercialization. And then you come to the show the third year and it's like, hey, ATV, uh, AK TVs are ready for the general public now. Every TV you see is AK and that's sort of the 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 cadence yeah so in autonomous vehicles last year felt like the year when everybody had autonomous vehicles just for the novelty of it and so like all the car manufacturers were showing autonomous vehicles a bunch of companies we've never heard of were showing autonomous vehicles and all the ingredient companies like qualcomm and in intel were mainly talking about how their chips are driving autonomous vehicles nvidia which does a lot of the the heavy processing for the vehicle like everybody's talking about it. This year felt like that middle year. There was less autonomous vehicle hype. The autonomous vehicles shown still were not completely commercialized or ready for prime time, but it felt like the vendors were having more practical conversations with them. So it like I'm at TVs can probably iterate faster than autonomous vehicles, so yeah. I'm not saying you should all expect that we'll all be driving autonomous vehicles next year. But it, it feels like we're in the middle of that cycle. So the consumer car companies were way less emphasizing their autonomous vehicles, the BMWs and, and Hondas. Um, Ford's whole booth last year was dedicated to autonomous vehicles. That wasn't true this year. Um, the But the a lot more B2B autonomous vehicle use cases were being shown. And it was like, public transportation people movers. It was a lot of these dr autonomous drone delivery of packages um, on public roads or in hotels or all these different use cases like that. Um, and there were a bunch of commercial like use cases. Like there's a lot of people that were pitching like way before we have truly autonomous vehicles, we'll have commercial trucks that are autonomous on the freeway and they hand over control to a remote operator when they get off the freeway, for example. Yeah. And so there are a lot more of those kind of use cases. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I'll be – I frequently have the news on when I'm, like, working, and I'll hear some talking head come on and say, you know, well, we should plan on vast unemployment in five years because of all these – you know, we won't need truck drivers and Uber drivers and, like, everything will be autonomous. And I'm kind of like – well, I think we're way further away from that. So we've, we've lived the e-commerce experience for 20 years, and we're at, depending on whose numbers you look at, 15 to 20% penetration. So I, I think, you know, I think that's a little bit further out than people think it is. I think they're they're kind of, you know, Even reading too guys, much into the hype. They're saying like, hey, it's not going to put truck drivers, like, we're 50,000 truck drivers short of what we need right now, right? Like, yeah, and at the same that. time, Amazon's like, you know, bidding yeah. up to. They can't drivers. hire enough truck drivers and they're all like escalating pay and competing with each other. And so the premise is if the trucks can run autonomously in the freeway, 
but then an operator has to take over control to drive it off the freeway to the, the store or the DC. Yeah. You still need people. In, that person can now manage more trucks. They can essentially, they have more delivery capacity for their labor. Yeah. And so the, the premise is it helps close the gap between supply and demand. It, it like probably doesn't like obsolete a bunch of jobs in the yeah. foreseeable future. But even then I go back to like my previous statement, like my cell phone drops out a lot, right? Just yeah. like making calls and, you know, I, I get really nervous of some guy in Phoenix driving a truck across, you know, five trucks across country and, you know, his, his LTE drops out when he's on the ramp. There. You know, so <laughs> for I'm sure, not, I'm not sure we're even quite ready for a lot of these kind of things. I think, I think we're, we're going to be a lot of co-writing going on and, you know, it's going to be, it's going to take a lot longer oh, than people think it will. It, it absolutely will. And they're like, they talk about like, there's three fundamental technology platforms that need to happen that haven't happened yet. Yeah. Number one, they're all saying that like for their, for it to be practical, for there to be a lot of autonomous vehicles, they can't be islands. Like the vehicles actually have to talk to each other and know where they are. Right. And so not only do you need that good wireless communication that you mentioned, like you can't have the LTE, but it's, there's way more connections because all the vehicles, it's, it's a mesh. Yeah. yeah. And so the premise is that when 5G is broadly deployed, the next generation of wireless technology, it has a lot of attributes that are more friendly to autonomous vehicles. It's faster. It has way more capacity for more devices. And most importantly, it has way lower latency, which is super important for like, you can't, you can't have the wireless going, there's a dude in front of you and then have a 130 millisecond lag before you hit the brakes. Yep. Um, so, and we're, we're uh, at least a year away from 5G being deployed at all, much less like ubiquitously deployed. And for your point, maybe it'll work as well as promised. Maybe it won't. Um, there's a huge problem with these, like, no one believes that these things can be autonomous by just using cameras as sensors. Yeah. They all need this LIDAR technology. And the LIDAR is kind of like a laser version of radar. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of controversy. Like the best working LIDARs are super expensive and have some negative side effects. Like they potentially could blind people and they could ruin regular CCD cameras. And so there's actually this big problem. The vehicles need regular cameras and LIDAR. And the LIDAR actually burns the the regular cameras. <laughs> um, so there's other kinds of LIDAR that are way safer for devices and eyeballs, but it has range limitations and things like this. So there's a lot of that stuff to be figured out. Um, so I, I totally agree. Like, I think cars are going to have more um, amenities for easing driving in the near future. But I like, yeah, I don't think we're just going to be like picking, picking venues on Google maps and, and arriving there. Cool. Um, switching gears, uh, pun intended. There, the another theme you touched on was voice, and I remember last year you kind of proclaimed it was the year that Amazon kind of stole CES. Um, I've read some reports that uh, both Apple with their Siri platform um, and then Google um, with their Assistant platform uh, tried to kind of catch up to Alexa at CES this year. Although Apple didn't have a booth, which I think was one of the first times. So, how would you score those three kind of contenders um, and how they did. Yeah. Well, I would actually go back two years. I'd say two years ago, Amazon had the show to themselves. And so they totally won. They didn't have a booth, but they were embedded. In, there were a bunch of products that work with Alexa two years ago. Um, and last year, 
the handful of booths that worked with Alexa turned into thousands of booths that had products that worked with Alexa. So again, Amazon didn't really pay for a booth, but they got huge buzz and a footprint and their logo was everywhere in the show. Google showed up last year, but it was mostly with an advertising presence. So they had their own booth that they paid for. They paid to like put wrap their their uh, logo on all the trams in Las Vegas and all the taxis. And so if you're just looking around Las Vegas, you'd go, oh, man, I saw a bunch of Google logos and I saw a bunch of Amazon logos. But I would argue Amazon dominated because all the Amazon logos were free and they were in products you could buy. And the Google logos were mostly paid advertisements for for a handful of Google products that did not have huge penetration. So now fast forward to this year, um, and it uh, I feel like Amazon continued to make progress, um, but Google is starting to catch up. So the most common thing you would see now in a booth is it works with Alexa and works with Google Assistant logos side by side. It was almost like they agreed on a treatment. Hmm. So there were lots of brands where... Um, but uh, support for both products were in there. I'd, I'd remind listeners, there's kind of two tiers of products. There's products that have Alexa in it. So it actually like is the assistant and you usually can talk to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's products that work with Alexa, right? Like, so a light bulb, you know, works with Alexa, a smart lock works with Alexa, um, a Bose or Sonos speaker probably has Alexa built into it. The toilet, oddly, had Alexa built into it. Yeah. If they have both, so can you just kind of switch conversations and have an okay Google slash Alexa conversation? So they, the ones that I saw mostly had an interface and you selected one or the other. Like wow. I assume you could pretty seamlessly toggle back and forth, but it wasn't like uh, you could use either utterance and trigger either assistant. Got it. Um, and way more common was devices that worked with both than that had both embedded in it. Like a lot of them, appliances, like a refrigerator, might have a smart assistant embedded in it, but you actually bought one SKU or the other. You bought the Google Assistant version or you bought the Alexa version. Got it. And I've noticed you haven't said Siri in this conversation. Yeah. So I so a, Amazon has ne- or Apple has never had a booth at CES, um, or at least in modern era has never had a booth at CES. Um, they Many years they win CES because they launched the iPhone 11 years ago during CES, <laughs> number one. Um, and they, you know, sucked all the announcement out. And I, uh, Walt Mossberg was at CES and Steve Jobs called them and said, hey, we're having this event and I really think you ought to come. And he convinced Walt to, to leave CES and go to the, the first iPhone announcement. Um, and... There are many years when the most prominent product category at the show is stuff that worked with iPhones or that worked with Apple products, um, but Apple's never had a booth. And again, they did not. They did not have a booth for HomePod this year, so they still didn't have a booth. Um, I'm sure they had suites where they were talking privately, um, but there's very little Siri stuff embedded in products. And to my knowledge, I didn't see any products where it was like pick. Google, Amazon, or Siri. It felt like a two-way party. The one place where Apple, in, or two places where Apple integration showed up heavily, um, 
the the Sands has a, a hall dedicated to home automation, and Apple has a platform called HomeKit. Yeah. So that every exhibitor in the home automation section probably had a logo saying it was HomeKit compatible. And again, Apple didn't have a booth in that section, but HomeKit was definitely the most prevalent sort of protocol for home automation. Um, and then a, a, a huge surprise that Apple pulled off at this show is Apple is famously a sort of walled garden company. Like you want the good experience, you have to buy all our products. If you want Apple TV, you have to buy an Apple TV. Um, if you want Apple Music, you have to listen to it on an Apple product. Um, so prior to the show, you saw those ro- walls eroding Apple actually launched a skill for Alexa that lets you listen to your Apple Music on your Amazon device, which was unprecedented and shocking. And then you got to CES this year, and surprise, Apple had embedded AirPlay in most of the major TV manufacturers' platforms. So you now can get all the Apple TV content on a Samsung or LG TV without needing external hardware. And the that very likely is going to have a meaningful impact on Apple TV sales. Roku is already destroying Apple TV in terms of market share, um, and this will probably make it worse. Um, but everyone's assumption is that Apple's about to make a major content play. Everybody expects Apple to have a pay-per-view video offering in the near future, to sort of compete, compete with Netflix. Um and that Apple has essentially, obviously you can already buy individual content from Apple. Apple has essentially made this decision that they can make more money as a content publisher and they want to have as broad a market for their content as possible. So they've made this dramatic shift from being a walled garden to being a open system that works with as many providers as possible. Yeah, we've talked about, it seems like things are thawing between Apple and Amazon. These, you know, so let's see, uh, Prime TV showed up on Apple TVs, I think was the first thing. And now we're, we're seeing them kind of, so the skill being on Alexa, uh, there's an Apple music skill on Alexa. Um, yeah. So it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, could you have one of these Amazon Alexa TVs and get to some Apple content, you know, say, say to Alexa, Hey, ask Apple to play, you know, some Apple stream or something. Yeah. 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 You, it, it absolutely seems like it's headed in that direction. The one that, that gets voted on and off the island a lot is um, there's a few Alexa devices with a screen, like mm-hmm. the Alexa Show. And at various times, Alexa's enabled YouTube to be on or off of those things. And at the moment, you can get YouTube on your Alexa Show. Cool. Um, all right. So anything else from CS that you want to hit? So we touched on a couple of these. Um, and so I'm not going to deep dive into them, but just to sort of highlight if you walked away from the show and said, hey, what were the big themes of this year's show? Um, a, a sort of underpinning in this whole show is there's this new thing coming that's not quite here yet called 5G. And so following that same kind of hype near re- release, actually released, last year there was a ton of 5G hype with fake products. This year there were fewer booths talking about 5G, but they seem very close. Um, and the the carriers have all announced that they have – pilots now and that they're going to be doing deployments throughout the year and that they'll have sort of meaningful penetration of 5G by the end of 2019. Now that is going to take multiple years to have the kind of 5G coverage that we enjoy today with LTE, which is the 4G network. But it, it really feels like we're at least a year away from 
meaningful consumer experiences. And in fact, there's like controversy. This, the earliest 5G, um, and this happens with every new iteration, uh, AT&T has rebranded some of their 4G network as 5G. And they they got like a lot of funny social media burns. Um, T-Mobile did a, a funny video where they took an iPhone, uh, an AT&T iPhone, and it showed the, you have five bars of 4G, you know, LTE signal. And they, they wrote 5G on a Post-it note and, like, uh, put it over the icon on the iPhone and said, hang on a minute, I'm doing an AT&T upgrade. And it was sort of a joke that they just rebranded 4G as 5G. Yeah. Um, so, so that's coming. Everyone thinks that's going to be a huge game changer when you can have a thousand times more devices connected and all those devices can have a hundred times faster bandwidth and they can have you know, a 10th or a hundredth of the latency that we currently have. It's, it's, you, you have to stop thinking about it's going to be a better cell phone and start thinking about, um, no one's ever going to store files on their hard drive anymore. Like computers aren't going to need hard drives. You're just like, everything's going to be on the cloud and be able to come very quickly to your ubiquitous 5g signal. And so they, they talk about all the use cases that will change. There's a ton of examples of leveraging uh, improvements in visual search and video analytics. And so there's all kinds of clever things. They talked about how like Google Maps um, spent a fortune putting cameras on cars and driving all over the country to, to get the images for Google Maps. There's a company that sells the dash cams to all the taxi drivers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we have GPS in the car. We have all this dash cam video. We can extract video from all the cab drivers and crowdsource better images than Google took. And so there's a lot of Qualcomm using video to, to do crowd analytics. Uh, tons of booths had this experience I hate where they, they use video to try to infer the, the mood of the, the audience and, hey, we can show happy content if the audience is sad. Uh, <laughs> a, n- a number of booths showing, like, we can tell old people and young people and sick people and healthy people and change the content. There's a lot of controversy over that stuff. But what, what is clear the technology to quantify video and turn it into actionable analytics is like is incrementally improving and video, visual searches is, is going to be a game changer for a bunch of stuff. Um, so that was a big trend. A big trend was a bunch of vendors shifting from their kind of walled garden approaches to open system. So Apple was the most dramatic, but in the old days, Samsung would try to make you use Bigsby and do everything with their smart home protocol and, Felt like the manufacturers kind of thrown in the towel on being walled gardens, um, and there for several years there's been a connected home and a connected health hall at the Sands Hall. But I tell people if you walked around the TV hall, the central hall at CES, it feels like you're in Mall of America on Christmas Eve. Like it's super stressful. It feels like you don't have enough room to breathe and walk. And when you'd go to the Sands with this newer technologies like connected home and connected health it almost felt relaxing because like there was more room. It was less busy. Mm. And this year felt like the year when those halls flipped that like it was much more comfortable and less chaotic in the central hall showing all the home, home video technology. And it was wall to wall energy and chaos in the connected home and connected health. So very unscientifically, it feels like those categories are really starting to get some traction. Cool. And um, Apple's 
playing that in addition to home kit, they have health kit, right? So did you see a lot of, you know, health kit kind of stuff? Yeah. So where home kit literally had a dedicated part of the hall. So all the products that worked with home kit were in one place, the connected fitness area had a lot of products that supported Apple health kit. Um, a ton of Apple competitors. So like obviously the new, your new watch has an EEG in it. And um, if you start to have an irregular heartbeat, I'll be able to save you. Um, if I choose, uh, there are a ton of like EEG products. And frankly, some of them that make more sense, like blood pressure cuffs that also do an EEG. Like, mm-hmm. um, so there was stuff that worked with Apple. There was stuff that competed with Apple. There were sensors for every athletic endeavor you could possibly imagine. So if you're a baseball player, we've got, you know, censored enabled baseballs that, that can judge uh, how well you hit it with the bat. If you're a fisherman, we'll put a, a Fitbit on your fishing pole to measure the, wow. <laughs> the quality of your casting. Wh- whatever you want to do, there's a way to quantify it and digitize it in a way you never could do before. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Um, anything else from CS? Nope, nope. That seemed like the big, the big meaty stuff. I know that's a lot of a lot of content, but yeah, uh, it's a it's the biggest trade show in the U.S. It's 180 thousand people. It feels like there's more and more overlap between all the worlds, which is interesting. You know, oh, for five sure. years ago there would be no retail kind of stuff there. Yeah. Um, so speaking of retail, let's switch gears and come on over to NRF. Uh, so did you get here Saturday or Sunday? I came in Saturday. All right, cool. So you have been here much longer than I am. I was only able to come up today, which is Monday. So and you wasted most of your day with me. I did, unfortunately. So um, tell us what you've been. Uh, I saw a lot of selfies and things from the show floor. So, so what have you seen here at NRF that you know we're only kind of early into the show? But what have you seen that you want to share with listeners? Yeah. So uh, some of the big trends. Um, obviously Amazon go has a lot of traction and buzz. Um, and so one of the things you see here a lot are alternatives to Amazon go. So some of those are what I would call legitimate Amazon go type experiences where they're sort of just walk out technology. So there are a bunch of big exhibitors that have built little mini stores and can kind of demo that experience. They're all claiming they can do it with a fraction of the cameras and cost of Amazon go. And it's really hard in these controlled environments to know whether they're, that's hype or, or reality. Um, but a lot of vendors are claiming they can do Amazon Go for a fraction of the cost. And then there's a ton of people that are claiming they're an Amazon Go alternative when really they're a scan and pay alternative. Yeah. So, um, which is a useful and good experience in and of itself. I'm, I'm not knocking scan and go. I get slightly annoyed when people try to say, like, the equivalent of grabbing your milk off the shelf and walking out the store without doing anything is grabbing your milk, finding the barcode, launching an app in your phone, aiming the camera at the barcode. It's it's a yeah. it's a to me they're they're different use cases. Yeah. But they're a lot of both. Yeah. And I've seen uh tons of robots wandering around. Um yeah. some of them are this kind of same platform that's been here for like four years now. Yeah. So there's like a lot of the traditional automation, like most of it's dedicated to logistics. So we've talked before about Amazon has these Kiva robots. There's now a lot of uh, alternatives to Kiva that other uh, fulfillment centers can use to automate them. Um, I would say there's more of those this year. And what there now is is a bunch of robots that people are hoping you'll use in the store. So there are robots for wayfinding. Uh, You come into the front of the store. You say, my wife told me to get this specific item. And the robot says, follow me. 
and walks to the store and gets it. Um, there's multiple competitors that have been here the last couple of years that take pictures of all the shelves and they do planogram compliance. The Campbell soup is where it's supposed to be. We're out of this skew. We ought to get more. Um, they're all doing some, some, uh, liability compliance as well. Now they're taking pictures of the floor to make sure there's not a trip and fall hazard or things like that. Um, there's robots that will replace the Instacart people in the store. It seems pretty far-fetched to me, but a robot that rolls around with the customers and grabs products off the shelf to fill a shopping cart. There's robotic shopping carts that follow you around, mm-hmm. so you don't uh, have to push your own shopping cart, and you just put items in the the autonomous vehicle that's chasing you around the store. Um, so a lot of robots, they mostly feel like, super expensive kind of hypey bills and whistles right now. Like some of the, the warehouse automation is like super effective and high ROI for, for high volume warehouses. But a lot of this stuff I think is interesting, but not something we should expect to see in high volume in stores in the near future. That reminded me, I kept seeing this video at CES of this luggage that would follow you around. And in the video, it literally runs into four people. while It's following this guy around. It was like the worst demo I've ever seen. Yeah, if you think about the stuff they already tell you you can't bring on the plane. Yeah. Right? And yeah. They, they already tell you if, if your luggage has a battery in it, you have to take the battery out of your luggage. So if your ro- luggage is also a killer attack robot, it seems like there's going to be some interesting com- conversations with the FAA. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there are a lot of robots at CES. Like, in terms of density, robots per booth, there was probably even more robots at NRF this year. Wow. All right. Um, so the robot guys are here in full strength. There's um, a ton of companies gravitating around the problem of apparel returns. So a big reason people return apparel is because uh, the, they it doesn't fit. Um, and so either they bought two sizes and returned one or they bought it expecting it to fit and they didn't. Um, so there's a bunch of companies that are using your smartphone to try to take measurements to help you pick the right size the first time. There's a bunch of companies that are having you upload your image and your measurements so that you can be visualize, you can visualize the clothes on your exact body type, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. That is a big trend this year. Uh, a lot of hardware and software around optimizing logistics and reverse logistics. So vendors thinking about how to optimize returns, um, a ton of digital in-store and digital shelf stuff. Um, so I, I every year say, oh, this is going to be the year of digital fact tags. And yep. so far, I've mostly been wrong. I'm doubling down yet again. I think there's more reasons that digital fact tags will take off this year, notably that Amazon is using them now and is likely to open a bunch of more stores with them and Sam's Club is using them and Walmart is piloting them and Best Buy is piloting them. So you're starting to see some real traction from – big retailers that other retailers are likely to follow Um, and the technology is getting better, but there was a lot of other digital shelf technology. Uh, Kroger has developed a digital shelf that can run co-op ads on the shelf edge. And so you think about what a big advertising platform Amazon is becoming. Kroger has a lot of, of, of traffic in the stores. So they're trying to monetize that traffic by creating opportunities to run ads next to the real time products. Um, so those kinds of digital shells are super interesting. The same trend we saw of video analytics at CES, we definitely see here. They're all the traffic meter guys. 
but there's a lot of other use cases uh, now for analyzing video streams to do various things in the store. Um, and not so much on the show floor, but in a lot of the content I was able to capture, one of the big uh, themes that's emerging this year that I really agree with is that one of the, the fundamental challenges we have in commerce is an erosion of trust between the retailer and the consumer or the brand and the consumer. And I, I feel like, you know, with all the negative Facebook press and, you know, the the never-ending uh, stream of breaches, like there's a lot of reason to really be worried about um, the level of trust you've earned with your consumers and a lot of reason to believe that that's, that's limiting to your market opportunities. So I'm not sure anyone has the magic bullet for earning that trust back or retaining that trust. But I like the fact that people are starting to have a conversation about explicitly trying to solve the, the trust gap. Cool. Any, um, so that's some good thematic stuff. Anything specific to specific retailers on the content side? Um, so I think you were yeah. at uh, the big gala and it seems like a lot of the winners of that gala event yeah. were digital native vertical brands. Yeah. Example. So every, so the NRF has this, uh, uh, sort of their hall of fame that they call the list. And every year about 20 people get inducted onto this list. Um, and they're like influencers and power brokers and innovators and disruptors that these different categories. And, you know, most of those, almost all of those awards are targeted at retailers and so, you know, in the past, you'd have, you know, the CEO of Nike win or the CEO of Macy's or, you know, all these 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 uh, sort of traditional retailers. And this year, the overwhelming majority of retailers that won an award were smaller digital native brands. The two founders of Warby Parker were the power brokers and, um, you know, uh, the the women from away, you know, was a disruptor. And so there, there uh it just it felt like a huge transition from the the traditional legacy retailers to the the digitally native brands, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then a bunch of the retailers give keynotes. To be honest, like it's mostly not that interesting to attend the keynotes from the CEO of all these retailers because it's their job not to share secret information. Yeah. And you don't get elevated to that level of seniority unless you're really good at, your, at at that kind of public communication. And so they're mostly commercials, you know, focused on public information. And it, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of like secret new insight or advice or learnings that get shared by the CEOs at these kind of events. Um, cool. I might be cynical, but. Yeah. So the one piece of content I saw was a uh, professor uh, Galway or Galloway. Galloway. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to like jump off a cliff after that. It was like super depressing. Yeah, so. I feel like he made you the suicidal. Grim, the Grim Reaper. So everything's terrible and we're all going to die. So thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> except he, he's not a retail apocalypse guy. I think he felt like our government and our society was going to collapse. Yeah. But Other he, than that, he, retail's going to be great. Yeah, but he felt like retail <laughs> had a better than uh, expected year. Yeah, while while the whole society falls apart, retail's going to be dandy. So I don't Exactly. Well, we'll try to find you some some beverages and help you help you start feeling better about our, your future. Cool. Um, and that is a perfectly appropriate place to use it because we have used up our allotted time. Um, as a reminder, if anything came up on the show you want to discuss further or you have any questions for us, we encourage you to go to Facebook and we'll continue the conversation there. 
As always, the biggest uh, appreciation you can give to us is to jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. I know there's still a few listeners that listen to the show every week that haven't made the trek over to iTunes, and now would be a terrific time to do it. Yeah, thanks for joining us, everyone, and we will be back with uh, some more news from NRF later this week. Yeah, and until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 